In this episode of Full Stack Radio, David and I recap our microconf experiences and talk about things like dog food and cron dog inside of Push Silver, uh, validation issues when your app supports models that can be in draft mode, uh, some ideas I have around changing sort of the vision for Kite Tail, and different ways that you can do client side image preview. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 63. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio Podcast. Today we are back with episode 63. Uh, how's it going, David? It's good. It's going real well. So, was this two weeks ago? I think two weeks ago today, uh, you and I both went to MicroConf in Las Vegas for the first time with a, a couple other folks. Did you have uh, a good time there? What, what are kind of some of your takeaways? <laughs> <laughs> had a good time actually it was um wasn't surprised by that at all but uh it was my first time in vegas so that was interesting but as far as the conference goes it was you know it does what most conferences do gives you that fresh inspiration and fire and all that kind of stuff but more importantly you know i feel like i was able to talk about a couple of the product ideas that i have regarding push silver and cron dog and kind of bounce it off people that know what they're talking about it seems like instead of just you know my wife is nice and all but she's not necessarily <laughs> the best person to ask you know as far as strategy yeah definitely i kind of feel like i was in the same boat like I, I enjoyed all the talks and stuff and they were all really good but definitely um the most enjoyable part of it was just kind of being surrounded by a bunch of other people who are excited about the same stuff and being able to get like some fresh perspective uh on different ideas and, and things like that for sure yeah it's nice to see people that are excited about your idea <laughs> you know like <Yeah. laughs> more excited than you are at the moment maybe even yeah so did you come away with any uh any i guess like interesting ideas for any of the stuff that you're working on or what were you kind of inspired to kind of get started with when you got home well actually i was hearing a lot of good feedback on push silver which is kind of the product that's just sitting in the just sitting by itself right now it's not really doing much i haven't changed a lot uh, but a lot of people seem kind of stoked on it. In addition to Cron Dog, which I heard some good feedback on. With Cron Dog, I heard some good uh, way. Like one of the key takeaways was the positioning of it. You know, I've always thought of it in my mind as like online cron jobs, even though that sounds super boring and not, you know, what you want to actually market it as. But the when we were just talking with, I think Ian Landsman and at lunch, and we came up with this idea of like scheduled web hooks instead of like recurring app tasks. And that was just like a huge light bulb moment because you need that that super short elevator pitch way of describing it. And I didn't have that yet. Yeah, it's real subtle too. Like it's it's not like any like crazy way of phrasing it, but it does put a totally different spin on it, I think. Yeah, it's a different way of describing the value instead of yeah. we think of cron kind of as a commodity yeah, it just like sounds like some boring, you know, everything happens at some same repeating occurring schedule, set it and forget it sort of thing. But scheduled webhooks sounds more like, oh, I can like on demand schedule new webhooks to happen at different times. And it definitely exposes some of the more you know, interesting things that you can use it for, I think. Like right off the bat, it kind of gets you thinking about it in a bit of a different way. Yeah, definitely. You can think of it like long-term queue jobs or it just puts a different perspective on it. Yeah, for sure. So what sort of um what sort of stuff were people saying about like push silver that kind of got you thinking, you know, maybe that idea is worth spending some more time on? Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're talking to people and, and for me, I get really kind of self-conscious and I'm like, "Uh, I have this product that's an invoicing product." And you know, it's kind of embarrassing cuz like everybody has an invoicing product, you know. But it's a really wide market, really uh big market and so there's lots of rooms to niche down inside of that and so i just got a lot of a few ideas about how to do that you know there's a a feature i was working on where i would you know basically hold files until an invoice was paid and then make them available and that was kind of i talked to a person about that and they seemed like that was a really good idea for like the freelancer market for people that just don't really need a whole accounting system, but they need a way to get some files to 
a client and that kind of thing. And then we talked about with a few folks about pricing push silver where to make it kind of like actually profitable, you know, instead of having a, a monthly plan, we could have something like I'm just taking a, a certain percentage or a, a flat fee off of the invoice and having that ability to charge, to charge that fee to the client kind of as a convenience fee or, or whatever for free using push silver. And that was, I think that was something that I was, I was thinking about doing before, but it was kind of good to hear other people talk about that in a positive light. Yeah, for sure. So what is kind of your priorities right now in terms of like these, uh, these projects? Well, actually the first one is getting push silver, the recurring feature that I currently have and getting that integrated with cron dog. Um, and so that's been mostly what I've been working on. I've worked a little bit on like the pricing part of it, you know, kind of doing the tiered percentage. Uh, cause what I don't want is to have, you know, a never ending ceiling for pricing. I want it, you know, the, to be at most $50 for a really, really large invoice. Sure. You know? And so I have that in place, but I, I need to find a good way to like, describe that in the in the interface yeah so you're saying about like integrating push silver with cron dog and kind of like dog fooding cron dog uh, <laughs> through push silver i know you had mentioned to me the other day that you were running into some sort of like interesting challenges there and i made you stop telling me about it so we could save the conversation for here <laughs> but i'd love to hear more about it now okay yeah well i mean integrating push silver with cron dog is like it's perfect you know that the idea for cron dog came out of things i was doing with push silver and, and donor give my previous product and so it just it was it's been good for like having to drive out new features that i hadn't thought of before you know it's something as simple as being able to set at the time on a monthly task you know i always thought well you just do it on the first day on the first chance you can at midnight or 12 sure. a.m but actually having in push silver recurring monthly invoices i need i have the ability to to send those to the client at a certain time so if i wanted to send them at 5 p.m that was just not in cron dog at the moment and so i've had to to build that out and so some of the challenges with that means that the validation is starting to get a little hairy because it's if it's a certain type of schedule i have to do different checks based on what fields are available or what comes in the request and so I'm kind of having to rethink the whole validation scheme, you know. So you mean validating on like on the cron dog side, like validating uh, an API request that comes in? Right. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. The way I'm doing it right now is is just a really simple long validation string that's like required if a bunch of that kind of stuff. And then it builds basically two different carbon date objects that are, are then used to generate a cron string and then set up the the schedule inside of cron dog and that's just getting really kind of hairy now and i've been kind of trying to, to avoid writing a ton of tests just trying to get the product yeah. uh, just figure out what it is and now it's starting to be a point where i need to like write a bunch of tests to verify that each yeah. of these things work yeah i know what you mean like you get to a point sometimes where like you can't fit all the things in your head that you want to like make sure you're not breaking mm -hmm. and it's really nice to be able to like like honestly that's my favorite thing about testing is being able to like kind of turn my brain into like sloppy mode. You know what I mean? Like being able to just like have an idea and not have to sit there and think, okay, is that going to break that? How is that going to affect this? Like just try it. Who cares? Like the tests will tell me if my stupid idea actually has some horrible repercussions. Right. So I definitely hear you there. So you're talking about like the reason that the validation is complex by the sounds of it is because every sort of type of schedule that you could create, you know, sort of introduces its own like sub layers of validation that you almost have to worry about, right? Like if something's monthly, well, now you have to validate this, this, and this, but if it's daily, you got to validate this, this, and this, or if it's one-off, it's got to be this. And that's why you have all these kind of like complex dependent validation rules, like all the required if stuff and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I'm wanting to take in just one request. And so I've not really seen many uh, instances where I've needed to like spin up different validation rules based on something in the request. It's always been kind of, if I needed a different type, I hit a different endpoint. And, yeah. and so this is one of those cases where kind of figuring that the whole structure out. Is there kind of 
one key piece of data in the request that like affects the rules i guess what i'm thinking is would there be a way for you to like basically generate a bunch of separate sets of validation rules and key them based on like the schedule so you could say like okay well when the request comes in fetch like the schedule type and then look up all the rules based on that schedule type and validating into those rules instead of trying to like mix it all into one sort of thing yeah i could key it based on the type which we send along you know there's daily hourly monthly weekly twice monthly yearly and minutely mm-hmm. right now so uh, i could pull in different validation rules based on those you know i could store those in the in the schedule objects or, or the model or something like that yeah i think that sounds like a reasonable way to go like try and figure out like early in the request like what type of request is this and then kind of like send it off down its own path every time because it definitely sounds like it'll get totally out of control if you're trying to handle everything in the same sort of place like even if there was a bunch of duplication required i think i would rather deal with the duplication than trying to put everything all together yeah the controller looks really nice it's only two lines because i can basically i have like a get data method on my my request object my request form object and it's Mm -hmm. just pulls out the formatted request and it's in a format that you could just throw to a model creation call. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's getting pretty, pretty gnarly in there because I'm checking every type in just the most ridiculous simpleton way. <laughs> yeah. That's always kind of like the hardest part about... um. Yeah. There's always this kind of struggle between like you want to have just like one endpoint to like keep it simple from like a consumer's point of view so they don't have to worry about, oh, if it's this, I got to send it here or blah, blah, blah. But then you have all this kind of junky logic to figure out like what's happening i started wrestling with a similar idea um with kite tail the other day trying to make a decision about how some sort of back-end settings stuff was going to work so have you ever worked on something where like say you want to like make some changes to some model or something right and there could be a bunch of related models a bunch of related tables but they're all kind of related to the same core concept a lot of interfaces will have just like a single kind of global save changes button that if that saves changes to anything that you've changed, whether that's in different tabs or whatever, right? Mm. Which sounds to me like, you know, there's a hundred possible fields that you have to worry might have changed and each one of those might have to get saved in a totally different way. One might be updating this table, one might be updating that, one might have to get translated from a checkbox into a timestamp or, you know, like all sorts of crazy crap like that. Versus the other approach that I've tried to take a lot that I talked about on the podcast, I think when I had Taylor Otwell on, I uh, was trying to like create lots of thin separate endpoints with like dedicated actions for changing them. But it's kind of a battle between trying to figure out like, how do I want to do it? Do I want to have like one button that just lets people like save whatever they've changed, which could mean they've changed the price of a product. It could mean that they've changed the webhook endpoint. It could mean that they've changed who knows what, or do I want to like put save buttons or update buttons, like kind of near the things that they're changing in many different parts of the UI. (sighs) And it's the same sort of problem with like deciding like in one case, it's way nicer for the user. Well, it might not be, but it sounds like it could be nicer to just have one button that saves everything uh, versus having to like scour around and save things in different places. So I don't know. I've been thinking a little bit about that. Like so far, I'm leaning towards having separate actions for doing those updates, even if it clutters up the UI a little bit, mostly because the code is going to be simpler. And I've run into cases with apps before as a user where you're hitting a save button like that and it's saving values that you changed in a different tab that aren't even on the screen anymore. Like there's some, some weird things there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you ever had to work on an interface like that before? Um, I'm not thinking anything right off hand, but I, I could see where you had like several options in the UI. You want that big button to save everything. But if people have stuff that they weren't quite sure they wanted saved in another tab, assuming users aren't as savvy as we are and know that those are going to save. Yeah, I could see how that would be a problem. Like some potential for confusion there. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like, if you're going to have a bunch of endpoints for different sections of the site or different, even maybe one field, um, Mm -hmm. it might be good to expose it as a, like a save field or some sort of like inline editing field instead of like a global save button or, or a big gross button. You know, it's like I'm changing the title of the product because I need to, for some reason, you know, that inline editing happens and then maybe you get a confirmation button. So it's not just like ambiguous whether it's saved or not. Yeah. But 
having that. Yeah, I don't mind that idea. I think I see Heroku do some stuff like that on their back end where, you know, you see in a bunch of apps where you have like a little pencil icon or something Mm -hmm. that turns like a static field into like an actual editable field and then has like a little small save button next to it that just changes that one subset of data, which I think makes sense. I think uh, the auto-saving stuff drives me crazy. Like some apps I think do it okay, but I don't know. So, you know, like Stripe updated their dashboard recently to like that new one mm-hmm. and that's all purple and stuff. If you are in like the business settings section there and you change some fields, like they save instantly and there's no visual indication anywhere that it's getting saved. So say like, uh, you know how you can set like what appears on someone's credit card statement, for example, if you change that and tab off of it, it's saved now and any future stuff is going to show that on the person's credit card bill. So that seems fine, but it's kind of weird that it doesn't give you any sort of like visual feedback that it's saved. And I ran into a situation like not too long ago, like shortly after they changed it, you know how uh, a lot of the time you'll go to make a change in the back end and they'll throw up that modal to make you like put your password in again, Mm -hmm. just to like double check that you didn't leave your computer open or something that someone's going to screw with your stripe settings. Yeah. So that popped up and I hit like my one password autofill shortcut and it put my password in but also changed some field behind the modal to something else. And it was my credit card descriptor thing. It like put my email there and overrided what I had showing up on people's credit cards, which then got saved right away. And if I hadn't like just noticed that that text changed behind that modal out of the corner of my eye, then it would have got changed. and I never would have known. Right. Which really sucks. So I definitely don't like the auto saving stuff, even in like a UI, like medium, like I was working on a medium post yesterday or something and uh you have to kind of like pay attention to the top bar where it says like it's saving your changes and stuff and i don't even know how often it does it and there's no way for me to do it explicitly so i don't know sometimes i wonder if i'm just like some old man who like wants to be able to press a button for everything and like i'm behind the times but it does feel like no ambiguous and unintuitive a lot of time yeah when it's when it's not really apparent that you're saving something it, it can be confusing it's yeah, I could be. That would be frustrating. I, I'm always when I'm faced with those fields where I can save. It kind of saves automatically, like a piece of text that turns into a text box. And then when you focus out of the field, it's suddenly the text again. I'm always hitting refresh, anyways, and that seems kind Just of to pointless. Like double check yeah. that it actually changed. Did it actually yeah. actually save? Or <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes people get a little carried away with trying to make things either like too minimal or too clever or something or you know like they're trying to be so automatic like to the point where like you almost don't trust the interface which is exactly like what you were just talking about right like you don't feel confident that like what you did did what you wanted it to do yeah so i think that's a a really good argument for having explicit like change or update or save actions near the things that i'm changing in the ui so that's reassuring yeah i mean the other side of it is like in this we talked about this a little bit a few episodes ago or maybe last episode where i have i was wanting to update the time zone section for a team in cron dog and i had to create this whole other endpoint with its own validation and it came in its own section and now i've got like multiple buttons for each thing and that's kind of like ah it's kind of i guess there i'm kind of forced to do it that way just to embrace the spark kind of mm. way of doing things but it's it seemed like you know it's just just the time zone field it doesn't need to be its own thing so i guess if you had a, an interface that was a bunch of different endpoints and a bunch of different save buttons that could be tedious too so it might be finding a balance between yeah you know it might be having four save buttons if you have four tabs so here's an idea that i had over the last couple of days i haven't really thought through too much but for most of these forms, they're all going to be like Ajax sort of Vue.js sort of forms, right? So say like in the use case you're talking about where you have like one kind of page and there's what you have like three save buttons or something that all go to like different endpoints and you're saying it's kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could do something where you have one save button and since it's just a front end JavaScript thing that fires off three Ajax requests instead of one. So they still, all those things get to go to their dedicated endpoints and the errors come back from each one separately. So you can still handle them in a clean way, but you kind of batch them all together into like one button that kicks off all three of them. I don't know, but thinking about that idea a little bit and if it kind of like helps you get the best of both worlds in some cases. Hmm. I, I, I guess I could see situations where that would work, especially if you have like on top of all of those views, the, the error messaging is like the same component. 
and or your error messages are stole, stored in some kind of global state, you could just like any errors I get back, just throw it up to the to that yeah. global state object with the errors in it. Yeah, it depends how you're going to display errors for sure. But if you're going to do like a bunch of inline stuff, that could be. But it, you know, if they're in the the global state, it doesn't matter what view you're on; they should all react yeah. to new error objects. I guess another Might way play with it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's. What do you think about like doing one huge network request? I'm, I'm thinking like the Twitter <laughs> setting yeah, screen, like the is, Twitter account setting screen. And the only way I can see that as being like somewhat sane is they fire off this huge network payload to this one endpoint, and then it kind of, for lack of a better term, like dispatches the separate save. Yeah. Like uh, like a command yeah, bus. It's almost. almost like a yeah yeah. It's like you have like a controller calling other controllers for each one, sort of thing. Almost. Yeah, I guess you'd have to find out what is changed though. And somehow collecting errors along the way and stuff like that. It sounds complicated to do well, but I don't know. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at, at Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. And we want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th- this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it so i've been using rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app nitpick ci and loving it uh, if you want to check it out you can head over to rollbar.com slash full stack radio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days so check that out and uh, thanks again to rollbar for sponsoring full stack radio I ran into another situation that's similar to that, that I'm, I think I know how I'm going to solve it. Like it's not too complicated, but it is kind of an annoying thing that I think probably people run into more often than you would expect based on the fact that frameworks don't tend to solve this for you. But have you ever worked on anything where an object can be in like a draft sort of state? Mm, Yeah. And now all of a sudden, like your validation seems pointless because I basically I have to save like a product in Kitetail. Originally, I had like a form to create the product, which had all the fields that you needed. And then, you know, your edit screens to kind of edit the same stuff. I kind of decided I don't really like the idea of forcing someone to have to know everything about their product before they can actually save it. Uh, because it just is like a barrier to kind of getting started, right? Like, oh, I don't have a banner image yet. Well, I guess I can't even create the product. Or uh, I don't really feel like I have my description perfect yet, so I can't create the product. Or It's just stupid. Yeah. So I decided I would rather just have you put in like, what's the one most bare minimum, most important piece of information to get started? Well, maybe the product title. And I can always have like some help text there that's like, don't worry, you can change this whenever you want. But instead of having to go through and create a whole product at once, you just hit add product, get one field show up in a modal or something that's like, what's the product called? Uh, Hit next or whatever. And then it just drops you into the edit view. So um, you're kind of like reusing all that stuff instead of having two separate forms. But that means like all of a sudden all these fields have to be nullable, right? Like my description has to be optional. My price has to be optional. The banner image has to be optional. The webhook stuff has to be optional, but it's not really optional. It's just like not required to save the draft, but it is required to like make it live so people can use it. So all your validation stuff, you can't say like the description is required, the price is required. But then when I go to hit like publish, which is really just like making it visible and making sure people can see it. Now I have to do a bunch of validation there, but it's not request validation. It's just validating like the current state of the model. Like, is it publishable? And if it's not publishable, I have to like come back with errors, which again is like a confusing, crappy situation because if I have in the back end, like 
I'm wrestling with the UI right now to figure out where to put everything, but say like you have one screen where you're putting in information about the product, like the name, price, and description. Then there's like another tab for you to put in your webhook settings and see like maybe the webhook logs and stuff like that. If you go to hit publish and you're on the webhook settings tab and the error is that you're missing a product description, like that description field isn't even on the screen for me to show you an error. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's just like some, I don't know. The front end interface decisions are always like uh, the biggest obstacles in kind of doing some of this stuff sometimes. Have you ever run into something like that before? You got any ideas? Well, I'm thinking if you were to swap out the database for some reason, like you were just use like a JSON object in some, you know, like Mongo or something, you wouldn't really have like nullable fields like this concept. They're all nullable at that point, you know, and there's probably tons of websites that are that way. And so if... If they were all nullable, it's not a big deal, really. Yeah, I'm not so worried about the nullable part. I guess it's more just like um, it changes how you do validation compared to how you would normally do it. Like you're you're validating the state of something that exists versus validating the request, you know, mm-hmm. and then figuring out how to communicate any problems back to the user when some of those problems might not even be on the screen that you're currently on so one idea that i had for example was to make like the publish button just like disabled so basically every time the page loads i'd have like some method on the on the product that's like is publishable or something and if it's not publishable i'll make the button disabled but i can add like a tooltip to it where i like ask the model for like what's the what are the current publishing errors or something and when you hover over the button, maybe it just takes the very first error on that list and shows it in the tooltip. So maybe you hover over the button and it says like, yeah, you must set a price before you publish this product. You might also need to set a banner image and a description, but I won't show you those until you go and fix the price, hit save, and then go to publish. Then it might say, oh, you need a description. Like it seems sort of crappy because it'd be nice to be able to get an overview of everything that's wrong from the beginning, but I can't think of a, a more consumable way to deal with it you know like Mm -hmm. in like kind of small chunks like where i can actually fit something worth communicating on the screen because i i have nowhere to display some list of 10 errors you know so i don't know it's tricky yeah i've seen this in apps like like century or you know just any app really that has like you need to do these four things and you're like a complete person finally you know (laughs) like yeah you're uh, you need to invite three friends or you need to start your first product. You need to put in your Stripe info and it's like kind of a checklist. And I wonder if you could kind of make a place for that where it's the, the fuse, user sort of gets feedback along the way that, yeah, that product, that part's already done. If I want it to be done, I don't, you know, I can go back and change the title if I need to, but it, that's part's done. And then kind of like a timeline, you know, like yeah. an ideal flow. I'm thinking like just like if you're going to do each section in panes, you could have like the label for product description and then it has a little indicator that, yeah, this is completely done, like a checkbox. Yeah, or, that's a good idea. So then like just by glancing at a tab, you could see like which tab is incomplete. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's got like a little yellow dot or something saying like it's partially complete and you click into it. And then from there, you can kind of get a better sense of what to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, as long as it's not a situation where... I've been in apps where you've gotten all the way, I've gotten all the way to the end of it and ready to hit save. And like something in the first tab is <laughs> totally broke Yeah, and then it just resets everything. Yeah. It's tricky. Cause it's like, I don't think there's necessarily a super linear flow to it. Like I'm sure there's a lot of apps where like, it doesn't even make sense to let someone start putting in data for the next section until the first one's done. But here, like you might be filling it out in chunks. You might like be testing out the web hook before you've decided on a final price so you might want to go back and change that you know but you'd still need a price there before you can even test out the webhook so yeah yeah i don't know it'll be interesting um but that's definitely useful for sure then you have the the problem of instead of verifying the whole product is done you have to verify all of the steps are done and that's all yeah different kinds of code depending on how <laughs> i hate forms man the worst everything related to forms and collecting input is what makes applications hard yeah we were joking at microconf about just like exposing database like a specific database query or a or a scope to the user you know if you want to edit your product yeah, you just get like, just, them like a, a super limited mysql login that they can just like go in and access only the things associated with their own account yeah that would be perfect yeah in a perfect world yeah well, you didn't get to really For talk sure. about like your microconf experience if you came back with any big keys. Yeah, um, 
it was good. Like I really enjoyed getting to chat with a bunch of different people. Uh, I got to have dinner with Ben Ornstein, who I've had on the podcast before, and I've always been a fan of the stuff that he's done at ThoughtBot and presentations he's given and stuff. So it was cool to be able to to hang out with him and kind of bounce some of this Kytel stuff off him. And uh, I came away with some like clarity, I think, on uh, on the app a little bit. Like a while back, like when we first started uh, this podcast, uh, you know, I had talked to you about even like almost wanting to like give up on the whole thing because i just didn't feel like i didn't feel like i had a good clear idea of like what i wanted it to be or who could use it and i think like after eventually like after chatting about it with some folks i started to feel better about it and then going to microconf and talking to him about it with people really made it a lot more like concrete and firm in my mind so i guess i could talk about that like a, a little bit basically um what i'm thinking now is I still want to start Kitetail as this webhook driven like hosted checkout forms thing because that's like exactly what I need for my course. That's the very first thing that I need. But my kind of end goal for it is to basically make it the app that I use to like run my business, which includes like my courses, it includes my uh, refactoring and collections book, you know, any other stuff that I want to create, including you know, landing pages that I want to put up for new ideas, stuff like that. So a lot more ambitious, but I feel like I have a bit of a unique take on how to kind of solve it. as kind of like an all-in-one thing because it's what I do like for, for a living anyways. So now like I'm looking at basically building out this hosted checkout webhook thing first, getting that live. And then the next step is going to be working on what features do I have to add so I can take my book off Gumroad and start selling my book through Kitetail. So adding like first class support for like downloadable stuff. And then, you know, I've got some ideas for other courses and stuff that I want to create down the road. Well, I'll be adding features to Kitetail so that I can like launch those products through Kitetail from the beginning. So basically trying to create like the perfect all-in-one tool for people who write eBooks, create video courses, you know, kind of do this info product thing, almost like what Basecamp is to like running your, you know, software project business for you know people like me so i talked to a few people about that i talked to them about some of the kind of unique takes i have on features that i can build into it that sort of kind of make it easy to follow the best practices and do the things that are going to help you be more successful and kind of building those into the app and that's something that i think i'll talk about in more detail like as i get into to building it but less about just like the utility of making a downloadable file available for someone to pay and download and more about like hand holding you through the process of developing and launching you know a product and trying to help you do it as successfully as possible i think that's something that like convertkit does really really well for email so like nathan barry put together convertkit because mailchimp was great in terms of collecting emails from people and sending broadcast emails to people like the utility of it is fine but there's all these things that he wanted to do that to make his business more successful like having little opt-in forms on blog posts where you could send your or put in your email and get a some sort of a content upgrade like a pdf that you would get or being able to easily segment people who bought your product from people who haven't bought your product or creating email sequences and stuff and all these kind of features came from like ways of using these tools to make his business more successful, but building them as features in a convert kit. So it's kind of like in the blood of the app. Like it's there to like make you more successful, not just to like enable you to do some utility. So I want to kind of do the same thing that Nathan has done with convert kit for people who like create and launch and sell digital products. Uh, so I look at Gumroad as kind of being like the MailChimp of that space. And I want to be like the convert kit of that space. So that's kind of the focus that I came away from microconf with and the people that I talked to about it, you know, were really encouraging and made it sound like it was a really good, good plan. So I'm excited to kind of, to take it in that direction. Yeah. That sounds like a really good direction. I guess it's easy to think about like just the plain utility of like having a webhook driven checkout form, which is super handy. And definitely serves what you need to do. And and people that like you would definitely need that product. But it, it's also even cooler. Because you just wrote that that blog post on your uh, a couple days ago about your launch. And I could just imagine tons of people that are like, man, if I could just have like Adam Wathen on, on tap, like, <laughs> you know, to ask him anything. And I'm while you're definitely 
available to talk to people. Uh, having that app as kind of like a distillation of like your process and the things that you've seen be successful, I think that is definitely has a lot of value. Yeah, I think that's what'll make it, you know, that's like the unique value proposition, right? It's like, hey, yeah, so the blog post you're talking about, uh, yesterday I published a post kind of that goes through my entire refactoring and collections book launch in gruesome explicit detail. So it covers like, it's like a timeline with dates of like, here's the date that I talked to the first friend that kind of inspired me to try and make the thing. Here's the date that I pitched the idea to some friends. Here's the date where I announced the landing page and it covers like every single marketing email I sent to every person on the list, every book sample chapter that I sent out, you know, how much money I made hour by hour, all three days of the launch and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a really fun post to put together. Like I had to kind of dig through some history and kind of put it all together. And the feedback has been really good. People have been kind of really enjoying diving into all that detail, but yeah, basically, you know what you're saying, taking that those sorts of ideas that I kind of use to make that launch successful and trying to bake them into the blood of the app to, so that anyone else who is looking to launch something like it's easier to launch it the right way than it is the hard way or the bad way by using this app, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Kind of almost built in guaranteed success, <laughs> you know, hopefully it is provided <laughs> the product is good, pitch. you know, at least the, the logistics of it will be done well or ha- you'll have the opportunity to do it. Well, you know, if you have like, an email or something reminding you, Hey, you need to do that. Exactly. That like, yeah, that thing. was one of the ideas that I'm really excited about with it is, you know, I can keep track of your progress with your product and I can email you and be like, Hey, like it's been a while since like you've sent out any updates. Like where are you at with this thing? You should do this. You should do that. And just kind of like hold people's hands along the way and really do everything I can to like make them as successful as possible. So it's been an a bit of a roller coaster going from like wondering if the idea was any good at all to like finally feeling like, yes, I can build something that lets me run my entire business. And as long as I do a good enough job, you know, educating people on some of these ideas, maybe, you know, they'll be excited to to give it a shot too and use this thing that I'm putting together. Yeah. Just wanted to take a minute to thank Hired for sponsoring Full Stack Radio. So searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, time-consuming. You know, you got pushy recruiters trying to sell you on roles that you don't want, or job boards that make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go through the whole interview process only to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. So Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. The goal of Hired is to make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. So instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. So you just fill out one simple application, and then top employers apply to hire you. So over a four-week time frame, you'll receive personalized interview requests with upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big companies like Facebook, as well as smaller emerging startups. And the size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. So right now, Hired can help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. And they keep all your information totally private, so there's no way that your current employer or past employer can see that you're looking for a new job. The best part about Hired is that it's completely free to you as the person who's looking to get hired. In fact, Hired will actually pay you a $1,000 hiring bonus if you take a job that was offered to you through Hired. And for Full Stack Radio listeners, they're actually doubling that offer to $2,000. So if you're a Full Stack Radio listener who's looking for a new opportunity, you can use Hired to look for a new job. And if you take one through Hired, you'll get $2,000. So if you're interested in more details about that, you can head over to www.hired.com slash fullstackradio to find out more. Thanks to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Back to the show. One or two other things that I want to chat about uh, that are kind of related to what we're getting into here. What do you know about doing like client side image preview when you're going to like upload an image uh, on a website? I I probably know just the stack overflow overview of it. (laughs) You know, I've, I've done a few upload forms where you just show like a, a preview example of the image. Yeah. What, what you have anything specific that you're kind of, well, with? I've done it before, um, and there's kind of like 
I think two primary ways that I've seen people do it. So the first way is that you have this file upload input, right? You pick the image off your hard drive and you have like a event listener listening for change events on that input field. And when the file gets added, you upload it to your server right away behind the scenes. That request returns a URL for the newly uploaded image, which you, you store in like some sort of, you know, temporary area in your app or something that maybe you clean out once in a while based on timestamp if people don't actually use those images. Uh, but when that URL comes back, then you can just display that in an image tag, but you have to make like the request to the server. But then, you know, the image is good. You can validate it right away, whatever. The other angle, which is what I used for an app I was playing with maybe a year and a half ago, which I think is newer but it uh, had enough support at the time that I felt comfortable using it, so it's only going to be better now, is using, there's this JavaScript file reader API, I think it's called, in the browser, that lets you get the file that's been attached to the input and read the contents of it as like a base64 data URI. So you can actually preview an image on the client side without uploading it to your server, uh, which is nice in that case. So this is something that like I need to work on for KiteTail soon, because... I guess I don't have to, like, I don't have to have image preview, but I like the idea of like having that image preview there. Cause the way I've designed this sort of edit form is it sort of mimics the actual checkout form. So instead of just being like a bunch of boring fields, it kind of looks like you're live editing the form almost. Mm-hmm. So I want people to be able to like upload a new file and have that like show up in the header of the form before they save it. So that's kind of interesting, like the two ways that you can solve that problem, sure. But the the thing that has actually been sitting in the back of my mind that I'm trying to figure out is I think I want to support products that have no image because I think that can be like a real obstacle for people. If you're someone who's trying to sell something and you need a checkout form for it and you have no design skills or no ability to create these images, it sort of sucks that like you feel like you have to like make something crappy that makes you hate yourself just to add it to this form just to save it. Like there's things that I can do to make the form look nice without needing an image from you. Like I can put like some nice little accent color bar at the top of the form with no image or something as sort of a minimal case. So I think I want to make this image optional, but I'm trying to figure out like what does it look like from a code perspective to remove that image if there's an existing one so say like you add an image to the form save it and then i want to clear that out not just replace it because of the fact that when you hit the save button on the form that's going to send through an empty image if you didn't change the image right because the 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 file input field only has a value when you click it and attach a file from your computer when i load the edit form i don't have access to your computer so i can't like add a default file there or something So I'm trying to figure out like what is the cleanest way to differentiate between a request that just has no image because the person didn't change it and a request that has no image because a person explicitly said delete the old image. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The best I can think of is like a hidden input that I sort of set the value of. Like, So if you have an image there and like you hit the X button in the corner or whatever to like clear it out or hit like some link that's like remove image. I can set like some hidden input field to have like remove image set to true. Mm -hmm. But like just imagining what the controller now looks like as a result of having to check that if statement and do something just kind of makes me sad. So I'm trying to think if there's like a less conditional, more sort of declarative way to make that happen. So do you have any ideas at all like different from that or maybe a different value that could put in that hidden input or a way to do it that doesn't involve a hidden input? <laughs> hmm. Is it kind of seems yeah, you have like the Boolean value. It's almost like if there's no image there, you could set has image, but you're, I guess you're checking that and you would still have to make a case for server side. You know, if has image is equal to false from the request, you know, clear out that property on the model, you know, yeah. it's kind of, and then you wouldn't show it if you didn't have it on the front end anyways. Well, one way that I thought of uh, just now it's kind of related to what we were talking about with like firing off multiple Ajax requests from the client side. So I could have, when you hit the save button, if when you hit the save button, there's no image, I could send two Ajax requests, one to just update the fields and one that sounds like a delete request to like products slash ID slash banner image. Mm-hmm. And that would let me do it in like a way that didn't involve gross conditionals on the... Yeah, making it a separate separate request seems like the best way the other option is like if i did the client side preview like in a different way instead of using the base 64 thing if i did it the way where you upload it to the server and then return it back then when i hit save 
I wouldn't be sending the image in the save request, right? I'd be sending the URL to the image or the identifier for the image that the server already has. So then if that goes through as empty, I can actually delete it uh, because then I can send like the actual ID of the existing image otherwise. So it's kind of all tied together in that sense. Yeah. If the, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Kind of think of trying to think of a way where you don't have to like check a flag, but it just is what it is. Like if, <laughs> yeah. if it's not, if in like your view component, if they've just cleared it out, set the image to the placeholder image and you just know based on that placeholder value, you know, like a blank image dot PNG yeah. or something. And then you, it's always there. It's kind of like the null object pattern, you know? It's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I want it to be like, right? I want it to be some sort of like approach where the code doesn't have to change just because there's no image. Like I want it to do the same thing it, somehow. It always magically. assumes there's an image there and then you yeah. always give it an yeah. image no matter what they do. Yeah. That would be nice. We'll see. The one thing that sucks about this friggin' file upload crap is there's no logical way to send like an, an image upload in like a JSON post request. You have to send it as like form data because you need to have that uh, encoded, you know, whatever ink type crap that you have to put on the form, right? So you can't send a JSON request that contains a file, only data, of course. So that's like another one of those things that makes me want to figure out yeah is it worth it to do the version that uploads the file to the server as soon as the person selects the file just so that i can send a nice json payload instead of having to have a special case for that one form where it doesn't send one so i think what i'll probably do is just experiment with with a couple of them and see if because i'm sure i'll learn like things i hate about each one when i try it and maybe one of them will stand out as being the obvious winner but just thought i'd bounce it off you anyways yeah you remember that like greeting card thing i was working on for a second yeah we had to do this and it was kind of a the app was designed to be like a wizard so you had like four or five steps and the fourth step was including like an image if you wanted to not use one of the templates that i had and that's the approach we did we when you hit save it kind of like paused it didn't immediately go to the next tab it just paused it uploaded it and then returned a media ID that we then sent in that final post request when we hit save. That's actually an interesting idea. So rather than, so by the sounds of it, if I use that approach, I could use like the base 64 client side image preview without uploading the image to the server, but still be able to send JSON to the server by having save first upload the file in like a promise, wait for the callback and then when the file is uploaded, then save the data from the form and pass the identifier to the newly uploaded image into the JSON. Mm-hmm. Because you might have I it, like that idea. some sort of media table anyways. That would be kind of a lookup table for all of the media objects you have. And then you could just save a media ID instead of like just the yeah. string directly. Yeah, that sounds smart. That sounds like the best of both worlds. Cool. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> is there anything else that you wanted to, uh, to get into at all before we start wrapping things up? Well, I was kind of thinking about writing an SDK, but for cron dog, uh-huh. but I'm not quite sure if that's the right, if it's the right time yet. Like I'm doing it with push silver and I'm just kind of like using guzzle calls. Yeah. ZTTP. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of a pain in the butt right now. It's just not, then that's some of the, you know, when you're dog fooding your own thing, you're like, find these pain points. You're like, yeah, I like the service idea. When I get it finally set up, it's going to work well. But this initial integration has been kind of painful and you know, will yeah. people do it? I like the product, so I'm willing to tough it out and make it work. And I need it for sure. myself, but are other people going to will have the willpower to bite the bullet and do it? I think if I was you, I would probably build um, a library for it as part of integrating PushSilver with it. Because even in PushSilver, it would be nicer if you had like a nice abstraction over top of any interactions with Crondog anyways, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can do that and design it in a way that makes it easy to make it available to other people... I think that would be a, a good advantage because like, of course, any initial like users and stuff that you're going to find are probably going to be like people from the Laravel community, right? Because that's kind of like where we hang out. Mm-hmm. So I think if you started with like a PHP based library, even like a Laravel specific one that had a facade and whatever, you know, that would definitely help with like initial adoption. And I don't think it would be like, oh, well now I have to do it for Ruby and I have to do it for Python. And I have to do it for Node or whatever. Like I I don't think that is going to realistically be that big of a problem at the beginning. Like I think any initial traction that you're going to get is with audiences that 
me and you already have, which is like 95% PHP developers. So it seems like seems like you could kind of kill two birds with one stone by making it nice to use and push silver and then just making that available to the 95% of potential interested people that are going to be using the same language anyways. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking through it, you know, since we just basically send a bunch of key values, it seems to have like this abstraction over the top. There's not much that's needed, but, you know, kind of like working with the payload, which is its own separate key value set. That's where it's kind of a little more painful because of the way I've currently got the post endpoint set up. It's kind of dumb. You actually have to have in the payload, like key, the name of the key, and then value is the actual value. It's kind of completely messed up right now. But, and so that's where it's becoming really painful. But other than that, I really could just not have an SDK because it's just, what are we going to have? Like set type equals you know, or set type method and it's monthly and another call that's like set end date carbon object versus like just passing an array and with all the, the details it needs. Yeah, it's true. It's not going to be like too crazy. I mean, it's it's nice in the sense that it's nice to like have a class called cron dog whatever versus making someone do the HTTP calls themselves. Like if you look at like the Stripe PHP library or something, they're all super thin. So I don't know. I, I think it would be fine like it'd be nice to be able to just have like even methods for the different schedule types right mm-hmm. so you could like have like cron dog monthly and you just send the payload and, like that's it and it just goes off or i don't know enough of the details about like all the data that you have to send but yeah. it seems like you could make it kind of feel simpler than you know the direct http stuff yeah. if but, anything it might feel more like official like this is a real product because he's got an yeah, sdk yeah that helps too social proof sort of have you done a lot of stuff on like like you're going to need to write up a bunch of like api documentation and stuff like that i've already got the api documentation pretty pretty much there cool Uh, yeah it's already in uh, the app if you have access to it which some people do some people just go to the right url and are signing up and (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what to do with their data because it's like still the test data and if i just want to wipe it out now i have to actually consider that people are well i'm sure it's not a ton of people i would just email them like those people might be worth uh contacting anyways and just kind of scheduling a call and just finding out like what are you using it for like i'm just curious and it might help you figure out how to market the the product better and stuff too yeah cool all right man well we've been going for like uh close to an hour here so i think it's probably a good time to uh to wrap it up but if anybody is interested in show notes for this episode where we'll probably link to some of the interesting things we talked about they should be available at fullstackradio.com slash 63 if you can rate and review the show on itunes that is uh always helpful i love seeing the occasional review i think we get like three a year because i don't push them hard enough but they do make me smile when they come in and uh thanks to hired and rollbar for sponsoring this episode of the podcast as well see you next time